0: chapter 19 of england canada and the great war this librevox recording is in the public domain england canada and the great war by louis georges desjardins chapter 19 american imperialism the still recent and wonderful growth of the two american continents in population and wealth is almost an incredible marvel it is none the least politically the two americas by the extent of their areas the vastness of their productive lands the length and largeness of their mighty rivers the broadness of their lakes the grandeur of their scenery seem to be most adapted to great developments of many kinds it is difficult to think of small conceptions originating in the new world which the genius of columbus discovered and the combined genius of all the great races of the old are united in developing let me first put the question when the leading european nations undertook to colonize the new continents were they not consciously or not throwing the imperialist seed in a fertile land where it was sure to take root and blossom spain france and last england were certainly not obeying the dictates of our nationalist school when they brought under their sovereign authority such vast stretches of american territory that christian civilization was to be extended to the new great hemisphere goes without saying that the riches then unknown of the new world were to be extracted from the land so full of them was one of the duties of the discoverers all will admit the european governments in extending their sovereignties to america unfortunately adopted the mistaken colonial policy then still too much prevalent their error was to stick to the wrong conception that a colony was important only in the measure that it could be favourable to the interests of the metropolis history proves that this colonial system is bound to lead to unfair treatment of the colonies absolutism then dominant in europe could not be expected to show any tender leniency towards the Colonials who were above all to work for the wealth and glory of the metropolis. Spain proved to be the worst promoter of that regime. Her failure has been most complete. She has had to withdraw her flag from the very large part of America, over which it might have been kept waving, if sounder and more just political notions had prevailed in the narrowed minds of her rulers. England, treading along the wrong path of colonial oppression, but in a much less proportion, had to face a like result in the revolt of her american colonies fortunately for her for america and the world at large the event widely opened her eyes in acknowledging the independence of the young republic of the united states she was destined to be proud of her offspring in witnessing the astonishing development of the child to whom she had given birth could she have then foreseen that the day would come when at the hour of her dire trial the daughter who threw off her motherly authority too stringently exercised would rush to her support for the defence of the very principles of political liberty for which she the child had fought for her independence how soon would england have forgotten the sufferings of the parting and blessed providence for them the american revolution successfully carried out was the occasion for england to revolutionise her colonial policy she was the first nation and i am sorry to say she has remained alone to understand with great clearness that the old colonial regime fraught with such disastrous consequences must be done away with and replaced by the new one which called the colonies to the enjoyment to the largest possible extent of the free institutions of the motherland like every new-born child whose laborious birth was critical the american republic experienced great difficulties the very moment she commenced to breathe freely so true it is always that national development like personal success cannot be achieved without struggle the united states offer the example of the best development of the imperialist evolution in the world It dates as far back as the proclamation of the independence of the Republic. When she was admitted into the International Society of Sovereign States, she had at first to settle her political organization. The framing of a constitutional charter proved to be a very arduous task, at times almost desperate. Three sets of divergent opinions were fighting at close range during the protracted and solemn deliberations, which at last reached a happy conclusion. Thirteen American-British colonies had coalesced to wring their independence from England. The goal once attained, a first group of opinion was favoured by the supporters of the dissolution of the temporary union organised to secure the independence of the whole, but to revert, they said, if successful, to their previous separate status. Had this view prevailed, at the very start North America would have been cumbered with thirteen sovereign states. Many were alarmed at the creation of so many small republics, more reasonable persons suggested to organize three or four of them instead of thirteen meeting as much as possible the wants natural to geographical conditions it was no doubt an improvement on the first mentioned scheme it met with the hearty support of devoted adepts it is much to be hoped that they will forever receive from the successive generations of their countrymen the reward of the gratitude they deserve the true statesmen who at this important juncture stepped on the scene and bravely took their stand in favour of the maintenance of the Union which had conquered independence and of the establishment of only one great republic. The celebrated Hamilton was their trusted leader. They knew they were undertaking a Herculean task. At that time the population of the thirteen original states, scarcely four millions in number, was scattered over a vast territory and located, for the most part, on the lands near the Atlantic coasts, two thousand miles in length from north to south. Transportation was in a very primitive stage. Many years had yet to run before the whistle of the locomotive, powerful and struggling, would be echoed by the solitude of immense forests. No one foresaw that in less than a century the overflowing tide of European immigration would roll its waves so powerfully as to cross the whole continent and the rocky mountains to reach the coast of the Pacific Ocean. With such conditions so unfavourable to the aspirations of only one new independent State, moulding together political groups so far apart interests apparently so hostile the local point of view local prejudices were sure to dominate they inspired the strong current of opinion in favor of the dissolution of the temporary union and the organization of every one of the old provinces into a separate sovereign state how under such circumstances the friends of a unique national american union succeeded in the marvellous achievement of carrying their point by a prodigy of persuasive demonstration will forever be a wonder for the student of the Republic's history. Few in numbers when they boldly threw their challenge, they encountered the shock of local fanaticism heightened by their offensive. Everything seemed to predict their utter failure. If ever founders of States have proved the heroism of their convictions, the American Federalists have most gloriously done so. Undoubtedly the force of the argument was with them. But what can logic, reason, good sense too often do against inveterate prejudices? were they in this particular instance destined to be powerless? The Federalists, such as their historical name, were not to be disheartened by the formidable obstacles thrown in their way. An imperialist inspiration was certainly the basic foundation of their demonstration, finally triumphant. They told their countrymen that if they were to erect thirteen small republics upon the burning ruins of the First Union to which they owed their independence, they would prepare a very sad future for their children and children's children. European immigration was setting in, slowly but surely. They predicted that the world, this time, would witness not a barbarous invasion like that which overthrew the Roman Empire, but one which the old world would overflow to the new continents. This surplus European population would bring over to America Christian civilization, the training of hard work, large hopes, courage, experience in many ways, persevering energy, which would transform the boundless regions which could become their national heritage, until then the domain of the wandering Indian, into one of the greatest and wealthiest countries on earth. Would they commit the irreparable error to destroy the certainty of such a magnificent national destiny, by creating thirteen separate governments, with the sure result of renewing in America, by such race groupings, the atrocious military conflicts which for centuries have flooded the European soil with human blood. Hamilton and some of his most distinguished friends published that work entitled, The Federalist, Which will ever live as one of the broadest and most elevated productions of political intelligence. To all, and especially to the nationalist theorists, I strongly recommend the reading of that book, a monument of the genius of great statesmen. In short, after a lengthy discussion characterized by their brilliant eloquence and their argumentative strength, the supporters of the Federal Union of the Thirteen States under one sovereignty carried the day. They had well deserved their glorious triumph. The Republic of the United States of North America, was founded under the aegis of the free constitutional charter which has done so much for her prosperity and her grandeur such was the initial move of the evolution of american imperialism those of us who desire to learn more about its developments have only to look over the boundary line the thirteen original states federally united have increased to number forty-four with three more territories gradually developing into statehood the actual population of the republic is already much over a hundred million living in unrivalled prosperity and contentment on a territorial area of more than three millions and a half square miles larger than all the european continent the sun of the present century will set upon a people of more than two hundred and fifty million with a splendid situation in a world to the destinies of which they will contribute in many admirable ways if they are only true to the christian principles which alone can assure civilization and progress if the term imperialism truly means what the word implies sovereignty being exercised over a large population and a vast territory, this political evolution, so decried by some, has most undoubtedly achieved a great success amongst our neighbours to the South. In all sincerity, may I not ask every unprejudiced mind, has not the whole world every reason to be much elated at witnessing the beneficent results of the triumph of the American Federalists? Evidently it has been imperial in its nature, in its proportions, It is so in its promises for the future greatness of the Republic. It has maintained, with only one exception, peace and harmony during nearly a century and a half between the descendants of the European nationalities who have trusted their future welfare to the sovereignty of the United States. Instead of wasting their energies in endless conflicts such as numerous small states would have infallibly occasioned, thanks to the unity of the sovereign power binding into an admirable whole territories larger than Europe, they have learned to consider themselves as citizens of the same free country, as the free subjects of the same governmental authority. The temporary rupture of the Union caused by the war of secession was but a vain reactionary action against the powerful current driving the Republic towards her grand future. It is most unlikely-I can say impossible without the slightest hesitation-that the United States after taking such a grand and glorious part in the present war will abandon the broad and felicitous policy by which they have grown to be one of the greatest independent nations of the world to drop so low as to adopt the blinding notions of a narrow sectional prejudiced and fanatical nationalism such as the type which would ruin the future of our own dominion if ever it was allowed to prevail they know too well by the happiest experience that the only true nationalism is that by which the united effort of the intelligence the culture the strength the patriotism of citizens of diverse races has wrought for them their present admirable national status so full of the brightest promises. When peace shall have been restored, the great and mighty American Republic will be one of the leading powers on earth, owing her unrivalled prosperity in a very large measure to her appreciation of the wonderful results obtainable by the union of all her subjects, of whatever racial origins, working with the same heart and devotion for the grandeur of their common country. I am not unduly enthusiastic, I am only speaking the plain truth when I affirm that the republican imperialism of the United States has been most beneficent, having guaranteed to mankind the inestimable boon of laying deep and strong in a virgin soil, providentially gifted with the most varied, the most abundant, the richest resources, the destinies of a great sovereign nation comprising numerous ethnical groups. This liberal, progressive, peaceful, harmonious imperialism It is a duty to approve wishing it to achieve new triumphs for the general good of humanity. Republican imperialism is also making its way, contaminating it, our nationalists would say, in Southern America. This large and splendid half of the New World has been for too many years the theatre of civil troubles which appeared endless. A great change for the better has taken place since the beginning of the concentration movement which has united almost the entire Southern American continent into eight sovereign states, two of which with really imperial proportions. The Brazilian Republic has a territorial area of 3,218,991 square miles, with a population of more than 24 million, increasing at the average rate of six or seven hundred thousand a year. With the great natural resources at her command, she will certainly develop into one great power. The day is not so far distant when it will have a population exceeding fifty millions living in comfort on a soil of luxurious wealth. The Argentine Republic has a territory of 1,153,119 square miles in extent. Her population is over 8 million, having doubled during the last 20 years. At this rate of a yearly increase of 5 per cent it is easily foreseen what large total it will reach in a few years. It is wealthy, doing the best with her splendid resources, already contributing extensively to feed the population of Europe. The other southern American republics, The Bolivian, the Chilean, the Colombian, the Peruvian, the Venezuelan, have all territorial areas double in extent of those of the great powers of Western and Central Europe. In Southern America, like everywhere else, the rising tide is not running in favor of a multiplicity of small sovereignties, always in a warring frame of mind. Since her political reorganization, South America as a whole has enjoyed the advantages of peace and of a large material progress. In reality, the same political phenomenon is to be found in the five continents forming the whole earthly globe. Let the nationalists call it imperialism if they like. I cannot help concluding that it is the outgrowth of natural causes operating in the sense of larger political units, giving to the nations getting so constituted prestige, power, grandeur, favoring public order, and in many instances the development of free institutions. End of chapter 19